What is up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Serving up the latest Everton news and stateside views. Let's kick things off. So today we're going to talk about the lineups, how we how we felt, you know, our reaction to the lineups when they were first posted. We're going to talk about the match in terms of how players um, performed, major events, who we thought our man of the match was. And then we're going to look forward to the League Cup match against Southampton on Tuesday. But first, I'd like to introduce James as my official partner and co-host of the American Toffee podcast. I'm really excited um, to have him on. Um, I think that he can help me take the podcast to you know new levels, and hopefully you guys enjoy it as much as I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, be joining you as a full-time partner i think together we can definitely make some serious you know improvements take a lot of constructive feedback and really develop this show into something that all uh, all toffees will really enjoy um but i know something that all toffees really enjoyed yesterday was the 3-0 victory against fulham uh started things off lineups come out 9 a.m uh stateside eastern time Unchanged from the Arsenal match, Pickford and goal, Kenny, Zuma, Keane, and Dina across the back, uh, Ghana and Davies and Sigurdsson in midfield, and then Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Walcott across the front. Yeah, I thought um, it was the smartest move to make in terms of keeping the lineup unchanged because regardless of that kind of sunken feeling we had last week away to Arsenal. Uh, zero to two was not a fair result. I mean, at face value, it is right. If you can't take your chances, then too bad. But I think that uh, I think that the team as a whole performed and warranted their place again. And uh, so I thought. I thought overall it was a good. It was a good lineup selection and pretty pretty uh, foreseen. Yeah, I I agree. I didn't really expect any major changes. I think you could have made a case. Calvert Lewin, I thought played poorly against Arsenal. I thought you could have made a case to have Tosin back in, but Silva showing faith. Obviously, Arsenal away and Fulham at home are very different fixtures and how you want to go about uh, attacking those teams. And I think he wanted to give Calvert Lewin. Uh, another go out. Uh, we'll talk about how that went as we move forward, but the rest of the lineup kind of picks itself. Davies is captain again. Uh, and uh, incidentally, Calvert Lewin, I believe I saw that it was his 100th Premier League appearance, which is wow. a massive achievement considering he's his age uh, and certainly very promising. Uh, but yeah, Davies captain because Really, who else are you going to pick in that side to be captain? Maybe Sigurdsson, but other than that, uh, I do think Davies is is the obvious choice. And as a boyhood blue and local local guy, I think it was a good choice. And I think he really appreciates what the armband means. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I'm going to uh, preface this very hot take with the fact that I still sport my Tom Davies number 26 kit every weekend, every match. But in terms of the captaincy, I have somewhat of an inkling that Marco Silva may have given him the captaincy, you know, for the first time 
I'm not sure. It might have been a month ago. I think this is like his third match as captain, right? Last yeah. week, this week, yep. but there was one previously, I think. And I think that it possibly could be part of his man management idea idea in terms of give him the captaincy. He, you know that he values it and he and he very much um, you know, sees it as as a big deal and hope that it'll kind of push him forward in terms of his performance coming off of, you know, last season, obviously nobody played well, but I think that it was kind of a brilliant move and possibly he had, you know, kind of man management in mind because along with Sigurdsson, I I also think Pickford could be an option, although regardless of whether he is, you know, officially named captain, Pickford's going to do his thing regardless as we saw yesterday. So I agree. Somewhat of a hot take, but yeah, I mean, Pickford is, is a, good shout for for captain but i do think ca- captains as keepers is kind of unconventional i know loris for tottenham uh is an example of that but i i just something about the way i look at it i prefer an outfield player to be uh wearing the armband for us yeah that makes sense i mean you as i've always said you know if, if you've played soccer then <clears throat> you know you know not even just a captain, but when you see when you see a teammate working harder than you, right? You know they're just as tired. They're still working. It wants it, it pushes you to continue to do the same because you know, a you don't want to you don't want to look like a pansy, but b you know you want to support him or her, right? And so I agree with that sentiment as well. And I think that is a very good point because I did see also that Davies had the most uh, ground covered in the match yesterday, uh, which is a testament to his work rate and what he really does bring to this team. Because I didn't think that he necessarily affected the game in the most obvious ways, but he was accurate with his passes and kind of providing that link up between Ghana leaning more defensively and Sigurdsson offensively. Um, But just to get into kind of the, the, Right from the get-go in the game, uh, I thought we looked pretty strong. Uh, Attacking, looking to come out on the front foot. Fulham immediately resorted to chippy tactics, chippy fouls, something, and trying to stifle our momentum and our our chemistry early. Uh, I know we had an early counterattack. Sigurdsson had a chance and, and missed that. And then... The first major event of the game, obviously, Fosu Mensa going off with the kind of a weird injury. Right. He was holding, like, the way he landed. So, first of all, he fouled Richarlison, right? And then he fell, it looked like, just flat kind of on his, like, he kind of broke his fall forward with his arms. And then he was, like, clutching his elbow, maybe his, sh- like, holding it in place because of his shoulder, um, and then all, you know, he comes off, it's the sixth minute and it looks like he needed a stretcher almost like he can't walk. It was, it was very, very bizarre. Yeah. A really confusing one. Again, really stifled kind of the early momentum that we had slowed things down. He went down and like the fourth minute came off three minutes later and he was, you know, sitting three feet from the sideline, uh, with a <laughs> presumed arm injury and yet somehow couldn't get up and roll or even roll, you know, like roll right. off the field. Right. Um, but you know, it happened. We moved on from it 
And for the most part, early on, it was all Everton. Uh, we yeah, were I- pressing and we were really on the front foot. Richarlison looked dangerous. Fulham's back line looked scared to death of him, which I think is a theme we're going to see recurring throughout the whole season. Every time he has the ball, he is just so dangerous and he's unpredictable. He's got the ability to cut inside. Um, The one criticism I'd have of him yesterday was that he was trying to do a little too much himself rather than bring others into play. But that's because he has the ability on his day to create something out of nothing completely by himself. Uh, Not sure what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I think so. The way Everton started, it felt on the front foot, but it felt sloppy. You can tell that in terms of mentality, they're still iffy. They're not completely confident all the time. Everton, in the last couple years at least, have always been a side that takes 15, 20 minutes to really build into a match. Or at least that's how it's felt. And so, you know, while they did start off pretty strong, definitely moved the ball forward, had a couple early chances, as you mentioned. Sigurdsson and I think Richarlison had had a shot off target as well. Um, it it just felt that the ball wasn't moved around too well at all, especially in the midfield. It felt like Davies, Ghana, and Sigurdsson were trying to, you know, still work out positioning in terms of where the others were. Um, but I think in the 14th minute, Richarlison pulls a foul for a free kick. Um, Lucas Digne connects with Kurt Zuma, but it was saved and he was called offside, but I don't agree at all. I think, I think Zuma is very well onside and it was a great take. Um, not that it would have mattered anyway, but you know, that was another theme yesterday as we'll kind of get into, we had a lot, a lot of free kicks, a lot of corners, balls in were fantastic and you could tell that they were very much targeting Zuma and Keen. It almost felt like they were targeting Kurt Zuma more now. Um, but we still still can't seem to to score too many goals from set pieces. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously uh, Keane and Zuma have looked outstanding in the air, especially offensively. Um, but yeah, still have yet to score a goal from a corner this season. Um, just the law of averages, hopefully that comes soon. Uh, I did... Credit to Fulham uh, early on. They did press really well. They didn't sit back like a lot of newly promoted teams you might expect coming to Goodison uh, to sit back and park the bus. That just doesn't seem to be the way and seems to be kind of a trend between also Wolves uh, played similarly going away where they're going to come out and play their game, whether they're home or away and look to attack teams, uh, move the ball, possess. And I think their press kind of gave us some, some troubles early uh, they really took a lot of stuff away from our midfield. And so we had a lot of p- balls going wide, which is again, been kind of the norm for us this season, playing things out through the wings, particularly on the left, the newfound partnership or the growing partnership between Dina and Richarlison looks like that could be something really special. Uh, you mentioned that free kick by Dean, he, his service off free kicks and set pieces is incredible the whip he gets on it, the curl. Uh, I would be shocked if he doesn't end the season with five or more assists just off of set pieces and corners. 
I agree. I think in terms of their partnership, it looks really, really promising. The crazy thing is Lucas Digne is not that quick. He's quick, but it, he's pretty average for a fullback, a modern day fullback. Richarlison himself, he's a little quicker, but he's not one of the pacier wingers. Um, he just has, you know, a better, a better, more physical build and uh, better um, technical ability with the ball. That was that was one of my main points was that how well he carries the ball forward, and then Lucas Digne is able to time his runs for interplay up uh, going forward so well that his pace is almost not really a factor or lack thereof. Right. Again, I'm not saying he's slow. I'm just saying that he's not a Kyle Walker. And I don't I wouldn't even say he might be as quick as Seamus Coleman now after his double leg break. Furthermore, um, to your Fulham point, that was another thing I noticed within the first 15 minutes was that they, you know, as you said, they come out and they play their game, right? They like to play a press as well. They kind of played a 4-4-1 or 4-4-1-1 with Mitrovic and Sherla up front. And um, you could tell that they're they're well drilled just as Everton are in in pressing. But furthermore, in possession, they moved the ball around really, really well through, you know, through our high press. So I was really impressed with that as well. And it's really nice to see teams like Fulham and Wolves get promoted and play a nice brand of football because we're not used to that, right? We see teams promoted and they bunker down and they hire some 60, 70 year old, sorry, manager. They're, they're the idea is let's spend 10 mil and hope to stay up and then we'll figure it out next year. And then the theme recycles until they're out of the league within a year or two. So it's nice to see it. I like, I think I like both teams Fulham. I'm kind of, I'm kind of annoyed at just because as you said, they, it felt like their game plan was to come out and play, almost dirty right and paired with the fact that the referee was trying to be a little more hands-off which is nice in some instances but in this match I don't think it was it was the best choice so you know we'll see how that how that plays out but I I one of my first instances or one of my first inklings when I when I saw the Fulham lineup and I watched them play I thought that they did such a good job building a squad coming into the premier league and you know people say oh they spent 100 mil that's that's pretty easy to do when you spend 100 mil but it's not because you have to get these players to buy into what you're doing and furthermore although they're not you know they're not getting the results they want they're playing good football and you suspect that it'll come yeah i mean if you want to see what 100 million will do or can do at its worst just look at us last season yeah uh so it is difficult you and i do think it's a credit to them for the way that they played, although it did end obviously in a, in a three, nothing defeat, but really it could have been two, nothing at halftime for Fulham because Sherla had an amazing chance very early from probably 20 yards out that he just skied probably 30 yards away from being on goal. Uh, that should have been a lot better. And then there was the heart stopping moment. Uh, Sessegnon, I believe in, uh, off the post or off the crossbar rather uh, that one really I almost fainted because uh, he was very very in and I do think tactically we're putting a lot of men forward we you mentioned zoom and keen forward for corners and so 
we look very, very exposed when teams when get a favorable flick off of a corner uh, and can push on the counterattack. There were a few moments yesterday where I thought we were wide open. You know, they have four or five men sprinting on the counter, and we've got our defense five yards behind them just working to get back. Right. Uh, but that's the price you pay when you try to commit men forward and get those goals off of uh, set pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's it's either you do or you don't, right? You either, you know, you're at home, you feel confident, you want to give the supporters what they came for who are there every week, whether it's home or away. And so it's respectable. The scary part is Fulham are not exactly a pacey team compared to a lot of the other teams in the league, right? Sessegnon is is quick, but Mitrovic, Andre Sherla, they're not fast. Like they're not fast at all. And to be able to kind of almost it feels like slice open our defense with one or two passes, as you said, after a corner kick, um, it's it's scary. And I don't know how, you know, how to progress from there. But I guess we'll see kind of how that plays off or plays out throughout the season. And again, you know, we we have to give we have to give time for the learning curve for Marco Silva, for the players trying to um, trying to change tactically and learn learn new systems and in every detail uh, specified for their position and their role in the team. So it's it's a it's a give or take. And I think I think it's a positive in terms of of how we're approaching offensive set pieces and corners. but there's always going to be a drawback. It's how do we mitigate the risk? Exactly. And I agree with you. If the likes of Fulham and West Ham are slicing us open on the counterattack, what's Chelsea going to do? Um, But who knows? I mean, I'm sure Silva will account for that. And we may not necessarily always commit that many men forward for corner kicks, but we did have 12 corners. uh, So it is kind of frustrating that we weren't able to get any goals from it. But that being said, it was still very encouraging. We did have almost, I mean, we had as many shots on goal as they had, period. Uh, So by all accounts, a fairly dominant, and I guess this kind of bleeds into the second half, because after the first half, I was feeling very nervous and and not really knowing what to expect. Obviously, they had those two clear-cut chances. We had some okay chances, but none really equal to what they had, and no one was really able to finish. So I wasn't really sure what to expect second half, but uh, it seems like Silva really, whatever he said at halftime, it was a different team from the 45th minute on. Yeah, and that's the funny part because last season it felt like in the first half we would come out, you know, we would play our game, whether that was the Sam Allardyce game or not is a different story. Um, And we, we would look pretty positive. We'd come out in the second half and you know, it would just, things would just fall apart. They would look fatigued. Um, it looked, it felt like tactics were just kind of neither here nor there. Positioning was off. Whereas this season, we almost feel like a second half team. You know, we take, we take 15, 20 minutes to build into the match. Um, we kind of settle in and then at halftime, he's able, he's able to fix different aspects, maybe talk about how tactics are playing out in terms of how the other team is playing. And, you know, from there, it, it, we seem to, we seem to benefit from it. And as you said, 
the first half really could have gone either way. Um, you know, they, they could have had one or two goals to nothing at halftime. I would almost char- characterize this as lucky only based on um, Sessegnon's shot that hit the crossbar because yeah. he was one-on-one with the keeper. He had, I think, two other teammates directly in front of goal. He settled the ball well. So, you know, furthermore, Richarlison took, you know, studs to his thigh in like the 33rd minute. And he was kind of limping around for the next 15 before halftime as well. So, you know, pair pair a couple of, of goal scares with, as you said, their counterattacks off set pieces. And then Richarlison just getting, you know, fouled every five minutes, it felt like. It was it was really really nervy and it, uh, entering into the second half, but five minutes into the second half, um, someone plays a ball downfield to Calvert Lewin. He is kind of able to to pass Odoy, their one of their center backs, who's actually quite pacey for a center back. I noticed that. Yeah, and Odoy gives him a a a shove. It was it was somewhat in the box. It was somewhat light, but at the same time, it's still a shove. And so a penalty was given. Yeah, I, I clear penalty for me. I agree a little. I mean, Calvert Lewin certainly doesn't try his best to stay upright, but you can see in the replay it's a shove to the back, and he did get position on him. Whether or not Calvert Lewin would have finished that chance, I would be inclined to say no, just Agreed. given his record. But wins us the penalty, uh, and at that point, I'm very excited looking at Sigurdsson. Uh, staring down the keeper, and I'm thinking, here we go, 1-0 up. Uh, Not exactly how it played out. Crushes it off the crossbar, sent the keeper completely the wrong way, so he had a basically open net. Very reminiscent of his penalty miss in the World Cup. Uh, And at that point, it was, okay, here we go again. We missed our clear-cut opportunity. They're going to have a chance to score. It's Everton. But thankfully, not how it played out. Sigurdsson came back and redeemed himself shortly thereafter. Right. I I was sitting there in just total despair. I thought, you know, on the NBC broadcast, at least, they showed, you know, uh, a map of his five opportunities on penalties and five, all five were converted. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that's going to that's going to jinx it. And then he just, you know, he just completely destroys the chance. And I really, I really thought that that was the turning point in which, you know, my feelings moving into the second half, which you, which you mirrored as well, were kind of confirmed. But after that, he looked, you know, more, he looked more um, desired, or he, he looks like he had more desire to, to make it right, which is respectable. And that's what we want. And you can, you know, to start off with, you can never doubt or question his commitment. Um, but you could tell immediately that he was, that he was mad and he wanted to make it right. So in the 55th minute, Calvert-Lewin was subbed off for Jenk Tosin. And I have a kind of a funny note because I don't know if it was just me, if I'm like crazy, maybe it's because we haven't seen too much of him lately, but I felt like it, it looked like Jenk Tosin had his hair dyed like darker. <laughs> I'm so serious. I, I like, 
I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about it every time I saw him. Again, I don't know if that's because we haven't seen him a lot recently, but it you know usually his hair is like a brownish color, and it looked like he dyed it dyed it almost black. So that was kind of a funny side note. And I, I don't know. What do you think? Did you notice there, that at all? There are a lot of outstanding questions about Everton this season. And I think what's the deal with Cenk's hair is probably pretty near the top of that list. Definitely. Uh, some days he'll come out and it'll look like he has a beautiful head of full hair. And then the next Everton, the Everton Twitter account is is tweeting a picture. And it looks just desolate you know it is <laughs> so thin uh so i guess it's, it's probably just a case of angles uh i didn't notice that he may have dyed it or not i'm sure he uh he's doing everything he can behind the scenes to preserve his head of hair at some point he's just gonna have to let it go i think if he goes with the uh this david silva-esque uh bald with beard look it might make him a little bit uh more formidable because what he has going now, just it's very situational, but I'd say it's probably not working. Well, Sandro's all but gone now, so someone's going to have to uh, be center stage at every at every uh, point. So either way, I thought that was funny. I, I just I yeah. can't keep my eyes off it. <laughs> but it's really know. just perplexing. It's just uh, it's it's crazy. But I agree. As you said, shortly after Jenk Tosin came on, I thought he completely changed the game. So it felt like it felt like once he came on, Sigurdsson was able to sit back a little deeper and play between the lines as he as he is best and is is preferred. And a couple of minutes after Jenk, you know, after a couple of minutes after he comes on, Sigurdsson has a beautiful shot from the right side of of the Amazing. box with his left foot, his weaker foot, curls it into the far corner. It was beautiful. Nothing the keeper could do stunning strike curled it around three Fulham players and none of them could I mean everyone just kind of watched in awe yeah uh just really a a gorgeous strike uh and full redemption for him and I was really happy to see that he kicked on after the the penalty miss and kind of didn't you know regress into a shell and I agree with your point on Tosin coming on Calvert-Lewin despite earning the penalty was largely ineffective uh even at what he does best, we all know he's not the best technically and he's not going to dribble by people and cut in and do those sorts of things. But even with his hold-up play and winning balls in the air, I didn't think he was very effective. Pressing, he always he has the legs, so he'll always do that well. But I agree, with him on, Sigurdsson was also largely ineffectual. Right. Uh, yeah. Just playing a little too far forward. And yeah, Tosin coming on completely changed the game. He did. He played very well as a sub. Yeah, I mean the the positive about Calvert Lewin is is his pace, and he can help keep the opposition's back line honest. But we've seen that even though he's he's definitely bulked up this season, he doesn't know how to use his strength effectively yet. You know, he, you see him physically get bullied no matter who the center back is. Um, whereas Jenk Tosin, he's better technically. He can he can obviously finish with both both feet, you know, his head, etc. And he can hold the ball up better. I would have, you know, I agree that last week Calvert-Lewin didn't play as well as he was previously, which earned him the start to begin with. Yeah. 
but I don't think that that one match warranted him, you know, being dropped this week. He comes out this week, pretty much looked the same, very ineffectual, didn't link up a whole lot. Um, and, you know, overall just a weak performance, which is obviously um, shown by the fact that he was subbed out in the 55th minute. And <clears throat> pretty shortly after Sigurdsson scores his first goal of the, of, uh, the match, Jank Tosin gets on the score sheet in the 66th minute. He scored a header on the back post from a fantastic cross by Walcott. And the build-up play to that goal was beautiful. Fantastic goal. Uh, that that first the through ball from Kenny to Walcott was fantastic. Curled okay. it, and then just judging from the angle as I was watching it, I didn't think Walcott would be able to get a ball in, but he like half chipped it just perfectly right uh, over to the far post. And really, if Chenk had missed that, we would have really had some serious discussions about whether he's uh, worthy of his place in the side. But taps it in. Really excited for him to get his uh his first goal of the season for us hopefully this is just a momentum builder for him and he can uh, move forward and from that point on the second goal I did think shortly after the first goal it was dominant by us yep uh chances coming possession we really were on the front foot uh and then there was a little bit of maybe nerve setting in Fulham got a, a spell of possession where they looked like they might create something. And then there was that build up to that second goal. And from that point on, it was all us. It was. Um, I, I thought, you know, we haven't talked much about Walcott, but even in the, in the 80th minute, he forced a save, you know, not the best shot, but either way he had, you know, I'd say two or three shots on target. And overall he had a good match. Um, he, you know, he, he seems to come and go in terms of production. So not only was I very, very happy to see both Sigurdsson and Jank Tosin score at this point, because, you know, I think they both needed a goal. I was even more excited to see, or just as equally excited to see Walcott kind of assist Jank Tosin's goal, because I think that he's still a really underrated player. I, I don't think Everton fans really appreciate what Theo Walcott does and can do. You know, I, I think, I think don't quote me, but last season or sorry, season before last at Arsenal, I want to say he's had like 18 goals in the league, maybe, or it was either in the league or total. I mean, he it's, it's a fantastic output. You always know what you're going to get for him. Like I, I, I don't think that we ever really see Theo Walcott have an off game. Maybe he's not involved as much, but in terms of getting the ball, pressing forward, looking confident, looking to play the passes, you know, his intelligence, I mean, he he's always consistent. And I thought that although he it, it felt a little quiet from him, I thought he did well. I agree on Walcott. I think he did a he had a very, very good second half. And even in the first half, he had a couple shots uh testing the keeper. Probably not probably could have done better on a couple of them, but I do think some of Walcott's the criticism for Walcott comes because like you said, sometimes he's just, it will go 20 minutes and you won't see us go down the right at all. Right. Um, the second half, we'd certainly look to do that more. And I thought Kenny really came into the game 
in the second half. Like you said, that, that through ball for the second goal was great. Uh, and I do think that Kenny and Walcott, we forget that Coleman is out. And so that partnership needs time to develop. And I think Dina and, and uh, Richarlison on the other side, that's clearly where we wanted to, you know, create most of our chances early on. Yep. But I do think finding that balance and making sure that those link ups between our, our outside backs and our wingers, uh, those relationships and that chemistry continues to grow because Walcott obviously oozes pace. He's a good finisher. And so when you have men on either wing that can really pose a threat and scare defenses, it makes it makes it hard. And I think we need to work on working the ball through both channels uh, on the right and the left. I agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely one-sided at the moment. And, you know, that's that's okay to an extent, but it's it's just about how do we how do we recognize it unless it's literally Marco Silva comes out and says, "Don't give Theo the ball, focus on giving it to Richarlison every time," which I highly 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 doubt. So sure. it's just it's just about recognizing that. And, you know, it also it also depends on the opposition as well. If you have a stronger, if they have a stronger left side, which obviously sits on our right side of defense, then you know you might you might focus on on Richarlison and Dinier, which I I don't necessarily think has been the case because we've seen it game after game. But I will say that I came to the conclusion in about 81, 82 minutes that I think that Ghana is better than John Michael Sari. I I. <laughs> just just hear me out so yeah john michael sari i i had an eye on him the entire match and that was because i remember a season or two ago um arsenal chelsea all the big all the big teams all the big clubs were were um linked with him right and when i saw that fulham fulham signed him i thought that, that was a massive coup and so you know i paid close attention to him and we only had 51% of the possession. So when you're talking about the the influence of the midfield between the two teams, it's pretty much equal opportunity, right? If you're talking about 49 to 51% possession. Right. Sure. And I don't think that John Michael Sari was able to impose himself onto the game, you know, onto Everton's forward players, specifically, you know, stopping Sigurdsson as he had the best match we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah. Whereas Ghana was all over the pitch, a ton of tackles, distributed the ball really well, pressed forward a couple times. Like his his pressing um, when we were out of possession was fantastic. And obviously small sample size for me specifically, but I'm going to stand by it. Yeah, he's been fantastic, especially the last two games. I think he's really stamped his he's really secured his place in the side uh i think if you have to choose between schneiderlin and gay you choose gay 10 times out of 10 despite what he may lack going forward he is so important to everything that we do defensively and with our press his energy levels his work rate fantastic I, there was one play uh late mid second half where he lost the ball going forward and then sprinted back uh and him and sigurdsson got the ball back and and then we went forward again. Uh he's fantastic. 
And I think he really benefits with Davies alongside him in that midfield. Whereas if he has Schneiderlin, obviously those two players are very similar. They do similar things uh, with Davies to kind of move the ball around more of a passing player and Davies work rate as well uh, really gives us a different dynamic in midfield where Ghana's not necessarily asked to facilitate the offense as much and he can work on getting the ball back and doing what he does best. Yeah, I agree. I was, you know, I've been skeptical as to how we're going to work with only one defensive midfielder, um, a box to box midfielder and then attacking midfielder because, you know, Tom Davies is really the only box to box midfielder we have. And obviously he's very raw still, although he has a lot of experience for his age. And then Ghana is, has never been the type to sit back. Whereas, you know, that's definitely Morgan Schneiderlin's game. And so Mm -hmm. to see them play so well together in the last two matches, because again, Arsenal away is not um, any easy task. Um, I'm, I'm really optimistic and you can only imagine how things could look when Andre Gomez is fit because you're, you're, you know, I'm going to assume that he will probably start over Tom Davies, but in the 89th minute, Bernard came on for Richarlison, which I really wish we saw that about 15, 20 minutes earlier, just to give Richarlison a little bit of a rest and to continue to um, give Bernard some more time on the pitch with the team. And immediately he burst down the left-hand side. We saw, we saw a good amount of his pace there, which was fantastic. He ran into the box. He held the ball really well. He was really patient. Saw Sigurdsson's late run in the box. Sigurdsson runs up, takes the ball, fantastic first touch, and lays it off into the far right corner for his second goal of the match, in which case it's 3-0 to zero and pretty much wraps it up for Everton. Yeah, great little play by Bernard. So fast. And I agree. I, I could have done with him coming off of a Charleston a bit earlier. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how those two compete for presumably the same spot in the squad moving forward. Uh, I can't see Silva really wanting to utilize Bernard as a super sub all season. So you have to think at some point he has to find a way to fit both of them in the lineup. I just don't really see how it will play out. Um, But great little play, good run. And yeah, in that situation, I think if that had been Richarlison, he would have tried to create something uh, and shoot the ball himself. Instead, Bernard does a little fake, pulls it back, holds it up, waits for Sigurdsson, who had won the ball back in the first place to to put Bernard in that position. Mm-hmm. And then he puts a perfect uh, shot into the corner. Nothing that the keeper could do about it. Completely frozen, just like the first goal. And yeah, that was it. 3 nothing. Fantastic. Uh, euphoric feeling for all fans, I'm sure, to see us really dominate a game like that. Right, and I'm... I haven't checked. I, I admittedly have not checked the table since yesterday, but I'm hoping that that would have brought us back into the top half. Um, so we're sitting right now. We're in 11th with nine points. Right. Uh, Manchester United is one point ahead of us, as is Bournemouth. Gotcha. So we're one point off, but we do have a better goal difference than both those sides. Our goal difference now a zero. Ah. So. <laughs> Oh, and, uh, and yeah, go the, ahead. The important, another important thing that we have not mentioned today is that was our first clean sheet of the season too. 
Yes. Fantastic to see. I'm it's a really about time. And I think it was well deserved. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the performance of our center backs. I thought Zuma and Keen were immense, cleaned up everything for the most part, really impressive the way that they took Mitrovic completely out of the game for the most part. I mean, he, he had one or two shots from distance, uh, but really nothing in the box in the second half. He had almost had a header. Uh, but other than that, both him and Sherlo were pretty much anonymous for the most part. And I think that's a credit to Zuma and Keen. Uh, that partnership really bodes well for the future. Whether Yeri Mina can come into the side, he's going to have to fight for his his spot. I really think that. Uh, and Keen, after last season, to see him in such fantastic form is awesome. People forget that we paid $30 million for him. Uh, and so finally we're starting to see I think we're finally starting to see the real Michael Keane, the player that we all hoped that we had bought at the time and didn't really get to see last season. Yeah, I mean, they were dominant. And let's not forget, Mitrovic came into this match with five goals to his name already this season, like ridiculous scoring form. Yeah. And as the as the announcers or the commentators even even mentioned, I mean, physically, he just got bullied. Michael Keane, in terms of Michael Keane, I think a lot of the fan base has, has written him off or are extremely skeptical. My biggest concern with him at the end of last season was, you know, and in coming into this season, seeing, you know, getting Marco Silva, him talking about how he wanted to play and how he likes to play. I didn't know if Michael Keane was going to be able to adapt to a more attacking style and brand of football because you got to, you know, you got to remember he's playing at Burnley. A lot of center backs seem, you know, tend to look very, very good at Burnley because of, of how compact they are. So right. it's really good to see him this season, as you said, in fantastic form. Yuri Mina is going to be uh, very hard done by the fact that um, he's going to have to fight for his place. Kurt Zuma had a fantastic performance and going along those lines, Jordan Pickford has had a really good performance too. So it's something to definitely build off of. Hopefully it builds the confidence. So, in terms of man of the match, who was your man of the match and why? I think it's hard not to give it to Sigurdsson. Two goals, uh, despite the penalty miss. Really important for him to have that type of game uh, yesterday because of some of the criticism that has come his way lately that he doesn't impact the game as much as he should for what we paid for him in his natural position. Now this season, I think he really did a lot to silence uh, that criticism today, but I also think uh, Lucas Dina really was probably my second choice. I thought he was fantastic going forward, uh, did his defensive duties very diligently uh, and effectively and played some fantastic uh, free kicks in, as we said earlier. So I think he's probably my second, but two goals, uh, I think it's hard not to go with Yelfi with on this one. I agree, yeah. Gilfie Sigurdsson is my man of the match. Two goals, an opportunity at three. Really wish he scored the hat trick, but he was instrumental in everything we did. His work rate is always ridiculous, um, obviously in a good way. And he needed the confidence boost because, as we know as an attacking player, right, Goals and assists are what you live for. And I think he's still working on figuring out how he fits into the system. 
because he, you know, he presses so high up now. He presses the center backs, and it doesn't always allow him to play between the lines. Right when we saw Jank Tosin came on, come on, he dropped back a little bit, and you know, it was like nothing to it. Now, my second choice, if we're going to keep things interesting, I'm going to say Theo Walcott. That's because he obviously, obviously, he had an assist, but. His, you know, he forced, I think, two or three saves throughout the match. He linked up well with John Joe Kenny. He offered great pace. And I think that he was able to to continue to stretch the back line. So I'm going to go with my second choice of Theo Walcott, but obvious number one is Gilfie Sigurdsson. So looking into the Tuesday League Cup match against Southampton, how do you think, how do you think we might line up? Who do you think might get some, you know, an opportunity to play? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because while we did beat Southampton earlier this season, I don't think that it's, you know, it's not a give, it's not a type of game where you can make nine changes like we did against Rotherham. Uh, I do expect probably Stecklenburg to come in. I'd expect to see Leighton Baines as well. Perhaps Mason Holgate. Um, I would honestly like to see Adam Lookman. We haven't seen him since some pretty uh, uninspiring substitute performances. I'd like to see him get some really consistent game time. And other than that, probably see Calvert-Lewin up top again, I'd imagine. And then probably at the weekend have Tosin come back in. And then as far as midfield goes, maybe Kieran Dowell. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a very real possibility. But again, we don't want to make too many changes because – Certainly, we're not going to win the league this year, so we want to have as deep a run in the Cups as possible. So I don't think it's a game we should overlook by any stretch. We should really look to field our strongest team possible. And so I would expect probably three or four changes at most. And what are your thoughts on that? Who do you expect to see? I think those are good shouts. I'd like to see Bernard and Lookman really both get a start. Um. I obviously Stecklenburg is going to be the cup keeper. That's how that, that's, yeah. that's going to play out that way. Baines obviously in, I, I'm, I'm really torn because we have the best depth we've had in a long time, if not ever. But I also agree with your sentiment that you can't make nine changes and expect to produce a fantastic performance. It's still possible. You know, it can still happen. We have good enough players to do so. But I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I, I it's it's also the other thing is the center backs, right? Because we have Holgate, but um I don't know I'm not sure if Jagielka is a match fit or not. And maybe he is and I'm just I just I'm just, you know, missed the memo. But so at the very least you're gonna see probably Keen or Zuma starting. And then it, you know, begs the question: Who's going to start? Maybe, maybe Holgate plays it right back because John Joe Kenny, you know, might not be able to play three matches in seven days. So it'll be interesting. I think that we can, you know, work towards a positive result either way. Um, I honestly feel pretty confident we could do that with seven, eight, nine changes, but it might not be the best. And with how a lot of our players are conditioned you know they can they can pull this sort of this sort of you know three matches in a week in in stints um especially 
you know, it's it that also could beg the question: Did Calvert Lewin get pulled off in the 55th minute yesterday because he he anticipates playing starting him in the cup? Um, so you know, these are these are all questions. It's it's a lot of speculation, but I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to it, assuming I can catch it at work, and I'm looking forward to covering it and talking about it on Tuesday as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a game that we should expect to win, uh, but. The more changes you make, the more uncertainty that you kind of uh, insert into that conversation. And so, I mean, I would love to see Bernard and Lookman go in. Perhaps you put Bernard at the num- in the number ten role uh, behind the striker and put Lookman on the left. It it is interesting because we do have Richarlison, uh, Bernard, and Lookman who really all play best on the left side, but Bernard. The only thing that concerns me is just his physicality in that number 10 role. Can he really match up with some of the bigger midfield players uh, and do that type? I'm I'm sure he can press and do all those types of things, but uh, it just Sigurdsson to Bernard is a significant downgrade as far as that, the physicality aspect is concerned. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at 5'5", 130 pounds, he's not exactly a force to be reckoned with, but a positive is the fact that He's technically extremely gifted, and he's quicker than, I think, any other attacking midfielder you could find. So that could be a positive, too. But either way, it should be exciting. Um, For all of you, we're going to be moving into recording twice a week. So we will be recording again on Tuesday, and that's going to be kind of a match review on Southampton. Looking forward to the next match. Um, next weekend and then covering any news that that comes comes through um you know comes through everton the website twitter account that sort of thing so yeah looking forward to it yeah um to wrap things up as always i always post this on the everton subreddit so if you're from you know if you found it through itunes whatever else please Go on Reddit, make an account, join the Everton subreddit. I think it's about 12,500 toffees in the group at the moment. It's an awesome experience to be able to talk. We have match threads where you can talk, you know, you can comment real time during a match. It's a good way to get all your Everton information in one place. And it's just overall an awesome community. If you found the podcast through um, Reddit, this is on iTunes. This is on um, Google or Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher. I have an RSS feed. I actually have a website which I'll be posting. It's very raw, still working on that. But you know, you can you can stream it easily through the website if you're at work. Um, we're we're gonna work on the Twitter account a little bit more and try to try to figure out how we're going to implement kind of a social media strategy. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. Um, any feedback that you want to give us would be much appreciated. We're always looking at ways to improve. And now uh, we do have a lot of ideas of, of ways to move forward, but any outside opinions are more than welcome. Even if it's, I mean, preferably keep it constructive, but if you're going to rip us apart, at least give us something that we can work on. Uh, and yeah, up the, up the toffees.